1: I've talked Scott Sigler into coming up to my hotel
0: room.
1: <laughs> Shit's gonna get real, Scott. Um, all right, so
0: first of all, thank you for coming up to my hotel room. Thank you. Appreciate uh, the chance to be on the podcast. I'm very excited. This is,
1: well, you're the first author. Like,
0: yeah. and I don't mean, I mean, other people
1: have been on, you know, have written books, but okay. you're the first pure strain of author who's, okay. who's been on. And yep. And for me, it's, it's pretty exciting. have uh, let me go into airplane mode here. Okay. For me, it's incredibly exciting because, you know, I took on contributors for, the, for my website, um, I don't know, I guess like a month ago. And it was mainly just a way for me to, uh, I can't blog every day and I feel like stuff that I'm writing about is from a limited perspective and I want to kind of make the site more robust. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, all these people offered to contribute and uh, someone wrote and said, oh, "I want to review books." And I was like, you, you have to review books I want the site to I, I want you know along with all the wiener jokes that I make <laughs> on the site, I want I want some academic feel I want it yes. to I want the site to be literate the
0: literati yes yeah
1: so uh, so Jessica Barton is the is the as the writer and she's been um, she's been reviewing all these great books mm-hmm. and it, it's opened me up to a lot of new stuff and she, yeah. One of the nicest things is that some of the authors that she's been writing about have started commenting in the threads, like you did. Yep, yep. And so, uh, and then so you and I kind of tweeted back and forth, and I said, this Scott Sigler guy is delightful. <laughs> we must get him on the podcast. She, was, she, was, she wrote about Ancestor. Yes,
0: yeah, she did. The one that just
1: came out uh, last week. And she loved it. Yes. And she must have read it in an hour, because I feel like it came out... On a Tuesday, and she had already, you know, she'd already put the the, the review up Wednesday. From, yeah, you know, to post Friday.
0: Yeah, and that seems to be a common thread with this one is that people are are sitting down and reading it in one go, which mm-hmm. is what you're always shooting for as an author. If I can, you know, destroy an evening's productivity and make you late to work the next day, well then I win. So that's how it works.
1: That's fantastic because I uh, now I have you know I don't normally read a lot of fiction because. I guess time it's, probably it, it's, it's time And, and, and I, I've said this on the podcast before But I You know I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like a Productivity is sort of my religion I guess Okay And so I spend a lot of time Like reading books about You know How to manage time And how to mm-hmm. How to move life elements around to, mm-hmm. So that everything kind of works In, in synchrony But um, But the idea of uh, Like uh, crazy sci-fi books uh, Is very appealing to me very very appealing
0: Well my kind of stuff it, you know especially if you are leaning more towards the science side um, there's some but not a lot of uh, authors who consider themselves horror authors who are using real hard science to, to communicate the scares mm-hmm. and to make it more believable and plausible and let you dive in further so uh, for people of that mindset my stuff is, uh, is really cool escapism what, what's you know, your background? Background is just journalism and marketing, but uh, the the decision to go into journalism was touch and go with going into the sciences, mm-hmm. but since I was uh, lazy and writing was very easy, <laughs> I was like, this will be like stealing. They're going to pay me to write, so um, went into that in college and just generally uh, follow the sciences from a pop culture level, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, I've been giving away all my books as free podcasts for five years now.
1: I wanted to talk to you about that because that okay. is a, that's a fantastic model. Well, for, well, we'll get that in a sec. I want to find out. So when you when you what like what makes you decide to write your first book pitch and and what does your proposal look like and mm-hmm. you know what were the reject was there a rejection process oh. or did it get like what just walk us through that a little. Well,
0: bit. I, uh, I, it was about fifteen years ago or maybe more that I'm like okay that's it I'm making the decision. I've always wanted to be a novelist, but I'm I'm going for it. This is my life's aspiration. Mm-hmm. And spent um, 12 years going through the standard process that you've described, you know, writing the one-page pitch letter, going <laughs> to conventions, trying to talk to agents, trying to talk to publishers, pretty much spent probably six years where every vacation day was going to one mm-hmm. convention or another, trying to meet people, make connections, and stacked up a good hundred and twenty rejection letters for all my books. Do so those book conventions actually
1: work, or is it sort because in the, they in the, can. they okay, can okay that's good because in the in the in the in the entertainment in the acting world you know sometimes they'll have these uh, actors showcase Gosh. and agents will
0: show up but it's kind of bullshit. Um, it, sometimes they work in the book world. I got my first agent from one of those things from World Horror Convention in Niagara Falls, and part of the deal was you get to sit down with three agents, all of whom will read the first two chapters of your novel. Uh, and that wound up, uh, shockingly, landing me an agent and was with him for nine years. And we didn't get anything published, but it certainly wasn't for lack of trying on his part. He worked okay. really hard, but it was just not the right mix. He was more of a hard science fiction author, which is, you know, spaceships. Mm-hmm. And I don't write about spaceships, so we couldn't make the right connections. So, yeah, they, they can work. And if you want to go to those things and work them, you can make connections. And a lot of times in publishing... It is about who you know, who was your roommate in college, right. you know, who your mom knows. I mean, quite frankly, that's largely, what if your dad's a famous writer, those things make a significant difference, not only getting a publishing deal, but also, um, you know, how much promotion you get when you come out of the gate. But having none of those things, <laughs> <laughs> I had to find another way to do it, and after um, uh, 12 years of trying it, I had been, I just started giving away my books free as podcasts online, assuming, you know, understanding the internet culture a little bit, I'm like, well, if these things are free online. People will listen to them because why the hell not? They're free. Doesn't hurt nothing. And then if they like them, they'll start sending the links to those audio files via IM, chat rooms, etc. Okay. Post them on blogs, and then uh, word of mouth. So, it
1: was, so it wasn't so much exasperation. as like, oh fuck, I might as well just give this away. You were just you. You actually thought, oh wait a minute, I actually see. what what year was this that you decided? I started
0: in 2005, March okay. 2005.
1: Yeah, that's actually. That's actually I'm going to say that's that, that's ahead of the that's ahead of the curve. That that's yeah. that's that's ahead of Chris Anderson's free um, mm-hmm. uh, philosophy by a few years. That's that actually beats Radiohead's in Rainbows by it, a couple of years. It does.
0: Yeah. And I mean it was before uh, I, before podcasts were even in iTunes. Yeah. And to figure out how to get a podcast back then was very confusing at least to me. I'm kind of a tech tart, so I'm figuring out how to do it but no right off the bat when I saw podcasting, I said, Oh wow, uh, this is a great way to distribute serialized audiobooks just like they did of uh, the radio plays in the 40s and 50s. Went out looking for some to listen to. When I couldn't find any, I was like, Holy shit, nobody's done this yet. And then the marketing background kicked in. And I thought it was um, my initial thought was if I could get 10,000 people listening to my books. Um, New York publishing would be kicking in my door and beating me over the head with money to sign me. That didn't actually happen. So. <laughs> Did they gently
1: caress you with money? <laughs>
0: they didn't do anything. Did they make love I, to you in a blanket of money. I got to ten thousand listeners, and they're like, w- w- "What's the internet?" They, I mean, it was... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you know, the funny thing is.
1: Po- podcasts are, I, you know, I, I almost wish there was a different name than podcast because for yeah. some reason it's it just. It, it, I feel like the name doesn't doesn't really represent how powerful of a medium I, I think it is, because when yeah. you tell someone you have a podcast and they're like, that's adorable. Did your mom drive you to that? <laughs> you know? But but really and, and as I've said before, um, podcasts have the best audience. Like they, they go out of their way to listen. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful, you know, fans. Uh, and and I and I feel like that the the mainstream media I don't I'm not I'm still not sure that they've have even really started seeing it as as a really viable way to uh, to promote stuff
0: I for by and large they haven't shockingly NPR gets podcasts and has been a cutting edge proponent of that and then uh, the other end of the spectrum is ESPN we trying to try to, really to kick this American
1: that. life off the top of the podcast <laughs> yeah, charts. It is, it is impossible it's up there forever so um, fucking Ira Glass he's
0: yeah, crazy he's crazy I hear he's doing a lot of meth these days so I don't know how his career is going to turn mad. out
1: well that's how he's able to put up all those podcasts well, the top that, he
0: never fucking sleeps okay? listen
1: I don't want to get sued for libelous uh, <laughs> or, or slanderous comments but I know for a fact that Ira Glass's blood is made of meth at this point <laughs> he is
0: He's he is flying across uh, the city. But I, the biggest thing to me about podcast the time delayed part of it. Yeah. And people can go get it when they want and then you know the uh, the tribal or cliquish nature of, of the online world as soon as you find a podcast that you dig you kind of send it out to your buddies and since it's all email, IM, blog post, etc it just things can spread so fast. So if you do something well and then do it consistently, which mm-hmm. is the other key. You've got to keep stuff coming out on a regular basis. Uh, you, can, you can rack up some pretty big numbers. But it's awesome because it's, you know, here I got free global distribution of all my audiobooks. Uh, I get to do exactly what I want. Nobody can control me or edit me. I give the whole thing away unabridged for free, mm-hmm. which I was due to my print deal, I was able to get that in my contract. So mm-hmm. I'm you know, one of the few guys who can get away with it. But, you know, I've got, I've got fans all over the world who will never even see one of my books in their stores because I'm not in those markets yet. So it's, I love podcasts. It's amazing.
1: And so uh, how long did it take you to get to 10000
0: um with EarthCore, uh, that was the first one I put out. It started in March of two thousand and five. I uh, you know like the first episode had three downloads and, <laughs> and and one was my mom. Nice job, honey. This is fascinating. I don't know how to listen to it, but anyway, shut up, mom, it. who do you know? <laughs> who do you know? Just email it woman. <laughs> um, it took pr- pretty much by the end of that first book. so twenty four episodes. Um, it, it got up to the to the ten thousand mark. and numbers have fluctuated higher and lower since then, but it was. I was putting out press releases that were getting picked up, you know, Technorati and other Mm -hmm. instant online services knowing that, Hey, it shows up in your, uh, in your blog reader. There's a link click. And in three seconds, you're actually listening to me tell one of my stories. And And, within five minutes, you know, whether you like it or not.
1: And were you, and so was there any part of you that thought like, you know, well, what if they just kind of... What if they just take this on the audio part and then the book part? They're gonna... You know, was there any fear that you that they were gonna... Because I'm I'm sure this is this is what the big companies are like. Yeah, well, if they listen to it, they're not gonna read it with their eyes.
0: Um, it, my my agent told me, don't do it. Just don't do it. It's gonna screw up your audio rights, and if you don't have audiobook rights, that'll screw up a print deal. Uh, and you know everybody in the industry is like, why on earth would you give it away for free? And I'm, I think um, I'm not entirely sure, but I think Cory Doctorow was already giving away free PDFs in 2005 mm-hmm. or at least 2006. He, he's way ahead of the curve on all this. And I was just like, I just completely ignored all of them. I'm like, you guys cannot see the math. There's a half a billion people online. Most of them right now are speaking English. What's wrong with you? <laughs> how can you not? How can you not see that this is a great way to? Um, it's a great way to build up followers and build up an audience and if people if you get in front of enough people and you write good stuff mm-hmm. if they like your stuff a certain percentage of them are going to become diehard converts who want to buy everything that you put out. right because we're i think everybody online nobody's upset about paying for stuff. We're all a bunch of nerds, and if right. I'm going to buy, you know, the Battlestar Galactica bonus DVD set, I don't care what it costs. I'm buying that. Mm-hmm. I just want to know that when I spend my money, I'm going to get something that's worth my money. So that, to me, is what giving away all my stuff online does. It shows people, yeah, I'm I'm so good at what I do, I can give it to you for free, and you'll still wind up paying for it because you want to. So that's kind of the mentality.
1: That's that's genius. I mean, I, I, I have that... Um, I, I kind of have that back-and-forth thing with stand-up all the time. I'm mm-hmm. like, should I just... Should I just put the stand-up online for free? And I do a lot of it on the, you know, I do some of it on the live podcasts that <laughs> yeah. we do. But, but, uh, but stand-up. I mean, I guess it's as limited a resource as 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 a book. I mean, you know, you're not going to write a new book every week.
0: Well, so. I would think with what you do, and uh, you know, like like the bits you're doing for the Craig Ferguson, the the opening of the Craig Ferguson piece, you know, like the Vagina Amazing thing, like yeah. that, you know, little bits like that dropped into the feed. Uh, especially, you know, the 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 context of a specific joke or bit, mm-hmm. a bit less like one or two minutes. You know, people are just going to email that stuff back and forth. If they're not sending the links, they'll send the actual piece. Uh, I, I mean, if I was in your shoes, I would think that the more you give away, the more people are going to be willing to pay to come to your live shows because they want to see you and see those. Well, bits.
1: obviously, live show, and that's that's interesting. That's why that, that, that's a good point too. Because live shows for a comedian, um, you know, obviously you can't perform if people don't show up. Right. So. Uh, do you, you do a lot of touring now mm-hmm. as, in terms of uh, li- live engagements?
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on tour right now. I just did um, nine cities in nine days, and I'm home for the 4th of July weekend, oh, and then I right. go back out. Yeah, so I got. Then I've got. Like a fucking rock star. It's, nine it's pretty cities. crazy. Nine cities nine days. Bus full of blowjobs. A lot of hotels. It's hard. Here hard. come, Topeka. Life on the road is hard. Um, <laughs> And then I've got ten more uh, when I go out again. So. Uh, uh, so what are you
1: doing in these li- in these, th-
0: I just I go to a bookstore and I do a, re- a short 50 minute reading for one of the books and then I largely go into a, a Q&A because I got I've given away uh, eight full free unabridged novels three short story collections and a bunch of other stuff online so there's a lot of information my regular fans want to come out and ask questions about how the universe works how stories are inter- mm-hmm. interlinked so it's out there Get in the bookstore, meet the bookstore people, promote the current novel, which is Ancestor, and then talk about whatever they want. Then after an hour and a half, we all go to the bar and get pissed. So it's uh, <laughs> that's kind of the culture right now. And nine nine cities, nine days, and nine bars. So nine bars, nine yeah.
1: Well, that sort of reminds me. Um, do you know Jonathan Colton? Yep. Colton's a great guy. I, I love that guy, and he also did that. You know, he was like, "I'm going to give away a song a week." Mm-hmm. And I can't remember how long he did it for, but it was an impressive amount was of like time. A year, I think, or something. was it, yeah. it? Was an entire I think year? So yeah, it was. Fucking genius, Mm -hmm. and you know now he, you know, he found the his audience found him, and he found them, and you know he plays, you know, big venues now, and people, uh, people love him. Well,
0: it's just you know everybody's so friggin' busy, and everybody's got their own life, and uh, the analogy I use is from the fiction world. People like Stephen King, Dean Koontz, and Rice. When they got signed, it was a completely different universe. You Mm -hmm. had three channels plus PBS. You had one movie in your movie theater. You had the daily newspaper and the radio, and, and that was it. And now, people's entertainment—you know, there's 500 channels. There's metroplexes, video games, which didn't even exist back then, are now the biggest entertainment industry in the world. And of course, that pesky thing called the internet. Right. So, um, fighting for people's attention to like, hey, I've got a really good product that would make you happy and you would enjoy it. Try it out is almost fucking impossible. So if you give stuff away, people are like, okay, uh, I'll give this a shot. It won't, It's. I don't waste any money. I mean, with your stuff, I'll waste two, three minutes. If I don't like them, I won't listen anymore. Yep. And th- that's what lets you make that connection with the audience where they go, this is the kind of stuff I've been looking for. This makes me laugh. This is what I want to spend my money on. It's interesting because it's not
1: really, you know, the entertainment business has shifted in the last 10, well, maybe 20 years, 15 to 20 years. And it's not a, it's not a portal driven business anymore mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, AOL. It, well, yeah. Well, like in the old days, you just had a, you had one, like one or two troughs that you could go consume from, mm-hmm. and now it's oh, I can I can go anywhere pretty much and get any kind of entertainment. And yeah, you know, do you feel that um, uh, when you're uh, when you're giving stuff away for free, do, does it does it lose any value if someone's not even paying a penny for something? Could do they take it for granted because you know they didn't have to pay for it?
0: Uh, there, there is some of that, but. You know, I, I have two options when you think about it. I can either be in bookstores and maybe I'm lucky enough to be placed in the front of the table or on an end cap for the two weeks that the book is out. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into the stacks and it's spying out amongst, you know, 10,000 other books. Right. Even if I'm in the horror section, the science fiction section, there's literally thousands of books there. So the odds of someone uh, stumbling upon me are pretty minimal, if, if nonexistent. They're not just going to stumble on my book. And read it maybe once in a great while. Literally wow.
1: trip and fall and break their nose on the on the That's side what you have book. to do. I mean,
0: if I could be in the store hitting people in the nose with the book and not get arrested for it, that'd be good marketing. Well, I now
1: think. if you did that, I would videotape it and yeah. put it on my you television do show. <laughs> okay, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, It'd yeah, be yeah, amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I mean, that's one option. The other option is give, uh, if not yeah, give everything away, and then people find you that way because they're talking amongst themselves and they'll try because it's free and they don't have to get off their dead ass. They can sit right. on their desk at work and they can listen. They throw it on an iPod those things are driving around so my audience reach by giving everything away is so much larger i hit many thousands of people more out of those thousands of people who would have never otherwise heard of me a certain percentage of them wind up buying stuff so Mm -hmm. that it's a overall it's a positive i think it could hurt somebody like a stephen king if he's giving everything away for free right because people will use that to to prejudge i've heard a story like this before Stephen
1: king reading uh, pet cemetery yeah and then they buried Gage in the Pet Cemetery. <laughs> That's the worst. That's not a good Stephen King. That's not him. Also, uh, I really want him on the podcast, so if I if I do a voice of him, he's yep. probably going to be like, I'm not going on
0: that um, he's like, Come on, come he's, on. He's really adept at all the new media stuff and has been for a you really fucking King? long time. I am not. I've never met oh, him. Okay. He's my uh, kind of my idol. I've never met him, but he's been doing... Shit outside the mold for forever, going back to the Mist LP, back way back. Well,
1: I got to tell you, uh, uh, when I (laughs) when I was in high school, I was 15 years old, and um, I was at uh, the where I lived in. I was living in Denver at the time, and there was like the local swimming pool or whatever. And so there are all these other kids around uh, trying to impress girls and live the Abercrombie and Fitch lifestyle that was, (laughs) you know, soon to descend upon America. And uh, there I am in the corner, in the shade, covered in uh, SPF 50, <laughs> reading Pet Cemetery. I, I'm surprised anyone ever talked to me when I was 15
0: years uh, old. <laughs> my, my best Stephen King um, nerding out story is that my mom was a big Stephen King fan, and that's how I got into it. So I would always, every Christmas, I would buy her Stephen King, and then I start would read. I would read them before I wrap them up. So it was like I would do the mistake of opening up, read the first paragraph, be like, ah, screw it, I gotta read this. And it was Silver Bullet. And, oh, yeah. Uh, my mom thought I had discovered porn many years before I actually did uh-huh. because she would come walk in my room and I would hide something beneath the desk. Hi, mom. Uh, no, this is for you. Yeah, and then she's like, uh, what are you doing? Nothing? And I was reading her Christmas present. So, <laughs> yes. And an SPF 90 is what I need. I'm very pale and corpse like. <laughs>
1: That's really funny, and, and weirdly enough, I refer to masturbation as reading my Christmas present. <laughs> so I don't know if that's if that's just a weird coincidence. I guess every
0: uh, it's a phase all boys go through. It's I mean, unboy- everyone's
1: <laughs> got to read their Christmas present at a certain time. You get those urges. The worst part is when you're at sleep and then you read your Christmas present, uh, you know, in your dreams.
0: Uh, the worst part is when you have to go out a Christmas tree and unwrap it. And oh wait, never mind. That's <laughs> that's it's a different analogy.
1: Sorry, that's an entirely different analogy. Um, so uh, what's are your once you finish this tour? What happens? Are you done with Ancestor completely? Do you have to... Do you start the next book? Have you already... Do you know what uh,
0: that next I, book is? The next book... The first book I wrote was Infected, and then I wrote Contagious. Those are in stores. And there's a third book to that trilogy called Pandemic. So that's me being mm-hmm. clever. It's mm-hmm. Infected. Oh, now it's Contagious. Oh, then it's a Pandemic. The Born so, Ultimatum. It's crazy. Um, that will be... I'll start working on that August 1st, and that will hopefully be out Halloween 2011, uh, and then going on from there. And then I have... Uh, those are through Crown, which is a subsidiary of Random House, mm-hmm. so getting to play in the big time a little bit is really fun. Then on the other side of things, my um, uh, I have an imprint called Dark Overlord Media, which okay. my uh, my business partner, A. Kovacs, and I put these books out ourselves. She's a huge fan of yours, by the way, so she'll be tickled with hearing her name on your podcast. But Kovacs, we put out, Kovacs,
1: Kovacs, Kovacs. <laughs>
0: there you go. We put out uh, these insane... Um, Book series of books called The Rookie, which I say is Star Wars meets Any Given Sunday meets The Godfather. Well, I have a copy of that right here. Yeah, this is a
1: professional kind of show or something.
0: And we put those out ourselves. We're able to do hardcover, load them up with all kinds of crazy nerd uh, color inserts with pictures of the aliens playing football and stuff. And it sounds far gayer than it actually is. It's, no, it's is actually quite interesting.
1: This is awesome. These uh, these awesome uh, kickass space helmets that are like. It's like, a cross, it's, it's like a cross between a space helmet and a football helmet, yep. and they've got crazy alien uh, stuff on the side. But
0: well, we're pretty hardcore with uh, making uh, aliens that are uh, biologically sound and, you know, are not just people with bumps on their noses. And then the positions of it are based on, you know, you have to have the gigantic creatures playing line and the incredibly fast creatures playing receiver and defensive back. And then largely the football and the teamwork becomes a metaphor for how sports overcomes racism, mm-hmm. at least in America. I've heard in Europe it's not doing so well, but. <laughs> First, first black person I ever saw was on a football field. So I grew up in an all white community. So um, this series is young adult, and it's kind of using uh, future sports as a metaphor for um, how sports overcomes racism. And it's just super freaking cool. To no, no, a no, lot no. of nerds saying, "I never liked football till I read this, and now I understand it."
1: So. I will read it. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm an idiot when it comes to. I mean, I don't understand sports very yep. well. Like it's, it's just like it's mystical. It is. It's It is mystical because you know it's a situation where people are rooting and they're like that's my team and I'm like you're just sitting there getting fat on hot wings that's not really your (laughs) team which is glorious
0: don't get me wrong there's nothing
1: wrong with that beers
0: and hot wings and a bunch of other fat people around (laughs) you is a good time you're going to want to go you can't really take credit for the people who train
1: every day and devote their lives (laughs) it's just
0: it's very um, it's a real throwback to our tribal instincts and you know you've got you've got your colors and your team and you've got something to cheer for and it's a a pretty good time but I specifically wrote this because um, I'm half jock half nerd and it's a very strange uh, grouping <laughs> and i had so many of my my nerd friends who would look down on football and I'm like you guys have no idea of the computational requirements of a quarterback and what they have to the math they have to do in their head in three seconds while someone is trying to kill them is pretty significant so i kind of wrote this book so you're following the main character along and in in the process you're learning about football and uh an enormous amount of nerds have read this and go I like it now. I never understood that you actually had to think to play football. But I'm interested, you
1: do. I'm interested. I mean I, you know, I was I played I played chess in school, so for me, I, I
0: heard that on one so, of the bod guys. So yeah. So for
1: me just uh, just the idea of the strategy of, you know, moving a bunch of if I could dehumanize them and see them as pieces then maybe it, would, maybe it would make more sense in my head.
0: Here's the random chess analogy. So an Ancestor, uh, chess is an ongoing metaphor for the, the plot developing. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to play chess, I'm just not very good at it. I got a nerdy internet guy email this morning. Um, Loved your book, it was awesome. However, I'm sure you know by now that a knight cannot block a rook from putting something in check. And I'm just like, oh, for God's (laughs) sakes. There's no way you can control all the details in a book. But I I saw that one. I'm like, yeah, I probably should have known that. But now it's in print, so all the chess people will think I'm an idiot when they read my book. Now,
1: I played tournament chess, and I I have to be honest. I I would like to pretend like I know everything. I'm not familiar with that rule that a knight cannot uh, block a rook from from putting something in check.
0: Uh, Because it goes over, apparently, and not through so, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I saw I, this morning I was I was uh, I was embarrassed, not that embarrassed, because uh, you know I don't play a great deal of chess. But I, I embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for not knowing that because I there mean I played tournaments, tournaments
1: yeah. for years, and I don't I don't ever. Then I, I
0: have your seal of approval on on my mistake. Yeah,
1: I don't. I mean, yes, of course. As the host, it'd be very easy for me to be like, "How could you not know that?" But I got to be honest. <laughs> I don't want you to feel bad because I, you know, I I can't play chess anymore though. It's too intense for me now. Like I can't. You get the sweats, shakes. Well, you know when 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 you when you do something as a kid, it, it's in, in my in, it's embedded into my skull. It's so competitive mm-hmm. that I can't sit down without like, okay, I need to think twelve moves ahead for every pe- like. It yeah. hurts my head to play anymore. I can't just play for the fun of it. No. And I've
0: tried. I'm the same way with any kind of pickup sport that I play at all. There's no such thing as playing for fun. You are trying to kill the other guy, and that's just the way it is. There was one funny.
1: Uh, uh, Jim Belushi takes a lot of shit from the comedy community Does it? There, yes he does There was an amazing sketch that he did on SNL 25 years ago Where he was a Bobby Knight style chess coach
0: Oh I saw that shit That was, he was awesome Knight like, to rook four Jesus Christ He was
1: kicking over chairs <laughs> That was a phenomenal sketch
0: That was pretty good that was, he, I think he also did the run, throw, and catch like a girl Olympics too Which was another <laughs> another great sketch <laughs> He was He was awesome back then if only we could dig that up somehow on a web of it's information. probably on some site that shows tube videos. Maybe. I don't know. You're talking, okay,
1: future man. <laughs> you know, but 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 the the, the point of view, like what I, what I what I get from you, which I think is, is fascinating, is that when you say you're a science fiction writer, it's really a bold face on the science. Yeah. That it's yeah. not it's not so much sci-fi. It's like science
0: that happens to be fictional. It's um uh, all of my the, the books that are in stores anyways because we sell the rookie and the that series ourselves off the website, but the books that are in stores, it's all modern day people like like you and me and it's in current setting with current political climate. And there's just some insane sci-fi biology backdrop to the whole story. Mm-hmm. So it is, um, which is part of the problem I had getting published in the first place. Like, well, you're not horror because you're not writing about vampires, and you're not science fiction because it's not in a spaceship, and you're not a thriller because people are getting dismembered and blood splatters everywhere. Yeah. So um, I, they didn't know what shelf to put me on. So it, these are largely uh, they're they're thriller novels. They're paced like a James Cameron movie. They're meant to have a gigantic cinematic finish at the end. And but they are you know they're modern day and the hard science scared a lot of people away. There's not a biological hypothetical section in the uh, no, no. <laughs> well, surprisingly there, it's there's criminal. There's not you know um, biological mutants with real genuine hard science and <laughs> technically we can actually do all of this we just haven't yet sectioned. That's so not... do
1: you do you uh, do you actually sit down with the uh, with scientists? Oh yeah.
0: Oh, you... <laughs> uh, well that with the, with the podcast by giving everything away the the, the two things I never saw coming was. All of the feedback I would get from fans pointing out my mistakes. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, nor, you know, a lot of times it's annoying, but a lot of times it's like, yeah, a helicopter doesn't start that way. That's wrong. Like, How the, how the fuck would I ever know that? I don't fly helicopters. <laughs> so it's turned out to be great, particularly in the military and, and weaponry areas. I've now got people that read, four or five people that read the book cover to cover before it comes out to make sure I have all that stuff right. And then I've got uh, three biology PhDs who are fans who emailed me out of the blue to say... I like what you're doing. If you need any help with this stuff, I'd be happy to read your books for you beforehand. So I have, I call myself the only peer-reviewed horror author out there. These guys read it from cover to cover. They point out stuff that's incorrect. They make suggestions for other, like, we just discovered this yesterday. you got to put this crap in there. So um, it makes it really hard to write a book because that stuff screws up my outline and I have to change it. But at the end of the day now, I'm to the point where, you know, guys who do this stuff for a living can read the books and really enjoy them because everything is is as accurate as you can get it while remembering I'm still telling an over the top thriller story so the story goes first the science is second but it's it's real science and if you know anything even pop culture science uh, it be, it feels very real and very plausible to you so when you get to the crazy parts of the dismemberments and etc you are totally in and you allow yourself to be scared so you
1: don't start a helicopter with a hand crank
0: that's you not, do not how that works okay. you, you do not and you also can't run and jump into one like you would like a horse in the old west you really can't, you, you can't, can't, can't do slide
1: that. across the front like if your helicopter yeah. were painted like the General Lee you couldn't <laughs> slide across the little snub nose of yep. the helicopter yep. and there's no, in There's and,
0: no Starsky and Hutch old school starting wait, up when, the car. Wayne and
1: Jennings wouldn't go, them do boys is flying over <laughs> like, You wouldn't get that?
0: <laughs> you would not get that. You would not get that. But, All right. Uh, so
1: uh, well, clearly, clearly what we've learned today is that I can't write about helicopters. Yep. Um, but I and, – and again, and I know you, you made this point, but I think it is a very important point that as, a, as an author, as much as you can – Keep people in in the world, and since your world is, you know, as much reality as possible,
0: mm-hmm. that uh, all those details are really important. They, they're super important because, I mean, you can't get everything right, and sometimes you have to take liberties. But, you know, if, if some girl's been over in Iraq and has been shot at and put in a tour over there, and then she's trying to read this book and enjoy it, and you don't, you know, you get little things like unit insignia wrong, or you have the wrong part of Iraq, or you don't even know how a Uzi operates, which mm-hmm. is something I got wrong that. The girl fix for me mm-hmm. you don't know how newsy operates it just immediately takes them out of the story so even though it's a small percentage of the people are reading your book um they know that you just didn't bother to go online and basically learn how something works you didn't take five minutes to show respect to what they do and it's it's in all disciplines all over so all of those things are little landmines that remind people oh i'm not in a story i'm reading you know, some jackass's book
1: and and um the fil- films do it all the time instead of instead of making instead of sucking you into a world the way that they get around that that shortcut is mm-hmm. uh, is when you're in a movie and then someone goes this isn't a movie you know well nothing I, takes me out of a film faster than this is not a movie
0: the, 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 that's why I'm really happy that people are reading the book in, in one go mm-hmm. and that that's my goal when I start up Dry Stories I want to cover I want to sweat the details put in the wrench time make everything as accurate as I possibly can so that they forget their reading, and they realize it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and they finish the book. Like I've done with Stephen King books many times. I'm like, how the fuck did it get to be 5 a.m.? What happened?
1: Well, that's what that's what happened when Jessica reviewed your book. She said she couldn't put it down. And then mm-hmm. people in the comments section were like, I had the same experience. Yeah. You know, so. It's pretty cool. <laughs> that is that is amazing. <laughs>
0: that's my nerd life. It was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um,
1: but I, wanna, I also want to talk a little bit about your writing process because, um, uh, well, selfishly, I, I sold a book. Cool. And uh, uh, but it's a it's a nonfiction book mm-hmm. and so then I sold it and you know I did the proposal I had to like revamp the proposal like three times and so I finally I finally sold it and uh, and then I had this immediate anxiety of oh I hadn't really thought through that I had to was gonna have to write this. It was just more in the I got so excited about the mm-hmm. idea of selling a book and then I did. So now I'm stuck with the now I'm stuck with I have to write it so yes. what is your? What's your process? Do you use software? Are you all notebooks? How do you organize your outlines? Like what, How do you how do you write?
0: Well, I use a, a program for the Mac called Scrivener. Uh-huh, I know Scrivener. Scrivener's... Um, is, that the, is that Mariner software? I'm not sure. No, okay. it's, not, it's something in latte. It's a coffee name for the software. Okay. But Scrivener is only like 30, 40 bucks, and it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's got good folder structure, outline. It makes a fake corkboard with three-by-five cards. Um, no matter how you like setting stuff up it lets you set it up. I mean, I use it uh, for a folder for each chapter and then you can write documents inside and move everything around and and reshuffle. So it's very helpful for that. Um, And then I I have to take my four or five scientific concepts I'm trying to convey in the book, put together an outline, then I, I spend weeks or a month or so on the outline, then I start writing the first draft. And for me being fiction, it's a pain in the ass because pretty soon the characters stop doing the things I want them to do. <laughs> My characters are pretty good at saying, yeah, I'm not going to the haunted house alone at night. Not going to do that. So then I butcher through the first draft and then I have to re-outline and redraft. And usually by the third draft, that's when it gets turned over to the scientific community and they tear it apart from there. And then for me, there's always... I kind of describe my books as a Satanic Seinfeld episode. So there's four or five different plot threads that seem completely unrelated. Then you get to the end and like, oh, I see how this all connects now. So everything has to line up. So every time I change one thing, it's a house of cards that knocks down everything else. And I have to just keep rewriting until I get it right. And now I have um, help from you know the editors at Crown mm-hmm. who are, are good at... They're interesting people because they they're like, well, I can't write a novel, but I can tear the crap out of yours. And they're, right. they're very good at tearing the crap out of it. Uh, and then it just... Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite till you get it done. That's kind of how it works in the fictional world. I mean, what is yours about? Um, mine is sort of a, uh, it's
1: it's kind of a productivity book.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: just, you know, I was initially pitching it as self-help and that means a lot, something a lot different when you're talking to publishers and they're like, self-help, oh, well, you're, yeah. you're not really a doctor. And I'm like, no, but <laughs> I was a fuck up for a long time when I was younger and then I managed to turn that around somehow mm-hmm. and so I kind of want to. You know, my, my, I have this idea that um, <clears throat> the, ner- the nerd brain is very specific. Like, it's a group of people that I refer to as creative obsessives. Like, nerds okay. are able to focus on something almost to an unnatural degree. And so the idea of the book is, you know, just trying to, just kind of walking people through steps for, you know, here's how you can kind of refocus some of that hmm. into constructive areas to sort of fix things or get things that you might want to get done uh, in, in your yeah. life.
0: I mean, if I had if I had it to do over again, I would go back and write nonfiction. Then I would start blogging about something, become an expert on it, and then write nonfiction. And those books sell like crazy. Well,
1: well, nonfiction is relatively measurable. I mean, like you can you know you can try some things out, and then okay, this is what I did, and these are the steps, and this is how. But you know, when you're writing fiction, it's it's almost it's almost uh, it's almost restrictive because you can literally write about anything, and Mm -hmm. and when you have that it's you sort of it's like going to the internet and just kind of staring at google I'm like well, what do i want to learn today i'm
0: gonna, I'm gonna follow or the one i just will never get stumble upon i'm bored i'm going to start stumbling through random links and so you're like really you how can this be so popular who's got time to go i got nothing to do i'm gonna stumble some shit
1: oh lots of people have time oh, oh. lots of people have time i've I've been through some small towns where it's like these are the people that have time <laughs> you know you, you go to a town that just has you know the the, the advent of the um of that uh, sort of ubiquitous strip mall that we all see now—that's yep. got the, it's got the Applebee's in it and maybe a Barnes and Noble and a you know a Walmart mm-hmm. and, and whatever. Those little clusters, you know, even uh, 20 years ago, those weren't really. Like I don't know what people did in those towns at that point. I before. I
0: grew up in one of those towns. Where'd you mean? grow up? I grew up in Sheboygan, Michigan. Sheboygan. Sheboygan, Michigan, and uh, we had one movie theater a few and like i think we had three stoplights so i mean it was there was not a lot going on <laughs> thank goodness uh, being the uh, raging nerd that i am we had dungeons and dragons and champions and uh, me and my buddies instead of going out drinking which that was all there was to do in Sheboygan, unless it was deer season. Mm-hmm. Deer season combined with drinking made for good fun times. Yes, uh, wear, wear accidental orange. deaths. Yeah, you know, no big deal. Make sure there's an orange collar on your dog because it's going to get shot. That sure, was t- sure. But we, uh, yeah, I mean, there was there was nothing to do, and it's we wound up playing all the time. Sort of,
1: it just unfortunately overlapped with Dress Your Dog Like a Deer Day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, a terrible idea.
1: Sheboygan Commerce ah, Come, come here,
0: come here, Mookie, guys. Some fake antlers. Kapow! Uh, we had, um, we would lose people every year in hunting season, and then in ice fishing season season because that, of course, another thing that you drink heavily at, and then the um, ice fishing roulette where people would see how long they could stay out on the ice, which oh. <laughs> as it started to break up. Did you have, do you have one of those little outhouse huts? Yep, yep. Outhouse huts, drill a hole in the ice, drop a line through it, and get piss drunk. That was uh, that was entertainment. Did you ever catch anything? No. No, okay. I, I, no. Well, I, I wasn't really, you know, I'm like, um, you guys, this is... A large sheet of frozen water and you're going to sit out on it for a long time and then drink uh you know hypothermia you're going to freeze to death so wasn't too big into that
1: I Knew the fish were circling underneath getting plowed just watching the people
0: <laughs> it's like fish there. tv but we would it was a, it was an amazing place to grow up because we would have our missing persons report and if their truck was also missing then you knew they. They'd, the truck had fallen through the ice oh, too late in the season and they were just gone and Sad and uh, it was that's the way it was in Sheboygan. Now, when you were
1: playing D anD D on the ice, yeah, uh, what uh, what type of characters did you did you tend to go? for? I
0: immediately started being the game master, like right off the bat, and I, I honestly attribute a lot of my storytelling ability to DM the DM. endless hours of DMing. And then uh, we got away from Dungeons and Dragons because it was as, uh, this is this is as, as geeky as it gets. As a storyteller, it was too restrictive. I couldn't. I couldn't have continuing plot threads and every recurring villains coming back. It just—I was like, I can't tell a story of this crap. So we moved into a superhero role-playing game called Champions, which we we played for years, and I had you know, ridiculous notebooks of source material. And would just—I uh, was able to keep seven or eight high-strung teenage boys riveted all the time. Boy, does it, was does it get
1: any nerdier than you know the, these games? Because when D and D first got popular, then there was an there was a, this explosion of Boot Hill was another one, which yep. was the Western. I can't remember what the space one was called.
0: Space Hero, I'm afraid. Was space okay. Hero. Space Hero, and uh, that was one of them. Good. But, but I was thinking, does it get any nerdier
1: than? fantasy meets math <laughs> you know, nope. like you've, got, you've got your, your you've got your you've got your fantasy part and then your probability
0: uh, there there is nothing nerdier than it i think it's di- i think it's dead now because it was you you being able to be an adventurer pretend to be something else and now you can do that you know halo right. blows anything completely out of the water right. but it was a uh, it was as nerdy as nerdy gets but i i just from square 1 i would spend hours off off game writing plots and coming up with storylines and, and characters and trying to find ways to push people's buttons so that they would you know lose themselves in the story and get a big thrill out of it um, so it was it was fantastic on-the-job training. And then from there, I started to write for the game companies. I'm a fairly arrogant guy. And oh, I would nice. be like, these books suck. I can do better than this. And I would write them letters say, these suck. I was the original internet guy. <laughs> your your stories are retarded. And they were like, fine, why don't you write one? I'm like, fine. And I did. And then I, I wrote a couple of gaming books. And then that that's what got me into uh, writing novels and shit. That's fantastic. So it actually this is a case
1: where nerd arrogance actually paid off. It did. Yeah. I think I think every nerd kind of has that cuz you know when sometimes when nerds write you um th- th- it's more it's they're more kind of stretching their creative writing uh wings than anything else. <laughs> like they go out of their way to to try to uh flay you as eloquently as
0: possible rather than yeah. just saying like you suck balls. It's uh, sometimes I think of it it's it's uh... People who shouldn't have an audience their one chance to have an audience. You know, they yeah. they can start a flame war. They can come out uh, something. It's very it's very exciting as a writer to to write something and have other people respond to it. And uh, sadly, a lot of times that's what uh, the the people are doing. Like, yes, I'm gonna get attention. I get um, uh, people are people are
1: generally very nice to me uh, on the you know on email, Twitter, or whatever. Mm-hmm you know every once in a while i do i do get some really some shitty as you do you know as you do yeah, i know uh, yeah but uh but i got i got one i got an email that was so like it just it felt like it had been flash fried in sarcasm <laughs> I mean, it was just like And on your podcast, why don't you do this more? Because that's amazing. (laughs) But uh, so at the same time, I was, I was, my ego was bruised by it. You know, so I wrote the guy and I was like, well, you know, thanks for your feedback. Here's why I do all this stuff and I'm not trying to bum you out. And here, you know, Mm -hmm. and he wrote back and he actually apologized. And I wrote back to him and I was like, totally cool. um, But uh, just so you know, I hope that whatever you're doing in life involves writing because... (laughs) <laughs> as, as brutal as your email was, it was actually pretty
0: well written. So I hope that, you know. You... You're an elo- eloquent asshole. Thank you, sir. By the way, much.
1: please, I'm not. this is not a call for people to send me emails that are Long, yes. brutal.
0: Exposition, I think, right. is what he's looking for. You are a sack of failure crap. No, please. Oh, <laughs> well, I've had to get used to because when I started out with a podcast, part of my goal was, uh, you know, everyone who reached out to me was going to get replied to all the time. So if they but well, you want to do that and then after a while after a while well you know I I my Twitter followers I try to do the math on what small percentage of mine yours are and like I don't know how you can even manage that many uh, you can't you just you, the 1.3 million people like it's so. not
1: but it's not um, you know of that percentage you know like there's I'm sure there are spam bots and of that percentage All there right. are people who signed on and never used the service again still, I mean still it's, it's it's
0: impressive it's impressive
1: I, I do get a lot of I do get a lot of replies but um, you know, not not every one of them necessarily warrants some kind of response. And I, I, do, yeah. I, do, I do I do, try. I do try.
0: I, I, when I That was kind of what helped build my fan base at first was every – I had a voicemail line. Every voicemail line got played. I responded to every blog pump, People tweeting uh, – this is before Twitter, but people out there blogging about me. I go on their blog and respond. And I had a really hard time uh, getting used to those kind of, of, of emails. And then when the first book came out – I was such an amateur at, at this game that I was responding to people's comments. Every review on Amazon, I was responding to it, which, like Gary Vaynerchuk does. Uh-huh. But Gary Vaynerchuk's the master of a wide variety. He's just a completely different animal. I wasn't as nice as Gary Vaynerchuk was. <laughs> I was like, I worked on this book for 10 years, so suck my cock, you bit. I didn't. But it was. I had a tough time getting used to the fact that there was going to be a, this... Uh, vehement diatribes against what you do because no matter what you do, somebody out there doesn't like it. So I've had to get used to that, like you, and, and just not you know but not, not only that, but, but
1: it's also it's also. I mean, I guess maybe because if you're involved in a creative field, I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, you're kind of harder on yourself than oh, most yeah. people are. So when someone kind of when someone attacks you you instantly go oh my god fuck they're right you know because you just you just feel like well the, the house of cars is going to topple now it, and and yeah. and so but then when you but I think what's hard is that when people write n- really negative stuff you don't know if it's authentic or or if they're just having a bad day i mean sometimes people have written stuff when i've been like oh i'm sorry you feel this way and they go ah, i just broke up with my girlfriend i'm sorry <laughs> and you were just the catalyst that just sort of made everything yeah. bubble over at that moment
0: um uh, yeah I'm I'm very very hard on myself, and that's been getting used to them. Like you put so much effort into these things, and the ones that would bother me, the ones they they clearly hadn't read the book. Like like <laughs> I get a lot of negative reviews that that pick things apart. I'm like you know that that's incredibly valid. Per- I mean that's if I had, if you had told me that before, I would have fixed X Y and Z. Then you get the ones where people just they literally haven't read it. They've read ten pages. Oh, you're a misogynist. You hate women, and you've got stories about killer cops. No, none of these things are true. Finish the book and see how the heroine pulls it out at the end. So those I had a tough time responding to. Now I'm I'm better at ignoring it because I have to be because I'm like you know very hard on myself or, or like like Ozzy was in your your Ozzy interview. You know he's like yes. Yeah, People who try and aspire to a higher higher level are usually very very hard on themselves. What an amazing guy he was. That was cool, dude. I'm sorry that was. I was listening to that at the gym the other day. I'm like, that's oh fuck, that's fucking cool. You get to sit down with Ozzy, that's awesome. I know, and and you know, I mean, of course, I'm very familiar
1: with Black Sabbath, and you know, but I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with Ozzy's solo work. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, all the kids when I was in grade school had the Ozzy thing on their on their fingers, (laughs) and Bark at the Moon was a huge video, and it and whatever. But I'm not. I'm not really a metalhead like like yeah. some people. So my questions were more from a, you know, I, I'm very really <laughs> curious to know how your brain works rather than, Ozzy, oh, what was it like when you were playing Wembley? <laughs> like I didn't have any of those questions, and and it was fascinating because he's such a he's such a contemplative guy, and he's so. He's genuinely grateful, A, to be alive, yeah. and B, that yeah. he's still able to do, you know, what he's been doing for all these years.
0: He just, that was a really fun interview to listen to because he clearly has his priorities in the right place when he's right. talking about, yeah, they're not privileged to see me. I'm privileged to see the fans. And he's not, resonated. he's not,
1: he really, you, you can, I was sitting in
0: front of him. He genuinely means it. Like, mm-hmm. it's not something that he just kind of says. And, uh, I don't, did you see his viral video for Scream? Have you seen this? No, one? no, no, no. Oh, my God, it. He's got really smart people around him, I'm sure. I don't know if this was his idea, but it was at the, um, the Wax Museum. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I did, did see, you see that. that. Oh, my yeah. God, that was, that was great. You're like, this guy's been in the game for 40 years before any of the new media came around, and he's just uh, he's just got the magic touch. He's like, well, I'll go do this, and now I've got five million views on YouTube. It's, it's, a, it's,
1: it's a pretty it was a pretty genius, and and you could pretty much only be Ozzy to make, <laughs> to make that work. Guys, if you if you for anyone listening, just Google Ozzy and Wax Museum. Uh, it's 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 a it's a terrific video.
0: Or Joan Rivers could get away with that too. <laughs> Joan Rivers. She what, can, it, she can as pull as that off no problem. Because I'm sure you remember, <laughs> hey, this wax figure won't
1: shut the fuck up about. Why does this wax figure keep asking me if we can talk? I don't understand why it won't stop. Stab it! Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's not wax. It's made of ash <laughs> and,
0: and dark magic. Uh, not a fan. <laughs> she's, it. A, she's hysterical. Her stand ups uh, going back are hysterical. I just I can't get into the shows where your whole career is ridiculing and ripping on what someone wears. It's just like, that shit, dry, I want to I jab forks in my ears. I'm like, there's a whole channel dedicated to insulting what someone wears to an award show? Really? I hate that shit. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's
1: it's, it's I, I, I don't love it, but I understand it because as a performer, the longer you're in this business, I, I feel like one of the things we always try to do, if you're a writer, you're an actor or a stand-up or whatever, there's always a thing in the back of your head where you're just trying to find what your point of view is. You're trying to find what your voice is, and you're trying to figure out what you want to say. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm sure Joan Rivers. They hire her as well. She's this sassy comedian who tells it like it is. <laughs> and then she gets into the clothes thing, and it, all of a sudden it works for her. There's I think there's always something Darwinian that happens where you're like, where they kind of realize this she's getting a paycheck, yeah. Right. Or or maybe maybe it's it's not as Darwinian and it's more. Um, it's more Pavlovian, where it's like, oh, I'm getting <laughs> rewarded for this behavior. And so I'll just
0: keep doing this behavior. Well, she's um, she, she's definitely no dummy, and she gets paid for it. But you're just yeah. like, oof, well, that's a tough... It's not a tough way to make a living. It's just do something constructive and... I mean, you're fucking Joan Rivers. You've been in the comedy game forever. This is, and this is what you got is insulting people all the time?
1: I just imagine that she's sitting in a chair like uh, Catherine Hellman in Brazil, <laughs> where they're just stretching her face back around
0: in the back of her head. <laughs> That's a little crazy, and then her daughter—you know—the mother-daughter insult team—that's kind of nutty. But I'm glad—I'm—I'm I'm glad they're working.
1: Yeah, I—I uh, I, got—I got trashed by Melissa Rivers once. For, Did you really? Yeah, it was actually to the to, when I went to the premiere of uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, what what were you wearing? A, a
0: sock on your cock or something like that? <laughs> that Rocking out your Chili Peppers fandom? No, or what? I was a
1: lot, I was I was I was chunkier then because I was still on the booze, so I'm, I would not have been naked in public. <laughs> but uh, no, it was just I was just it was just like a black suit and like black sneakers. Yep. And like a th- it was a it was a thin tie. Like I but I, but it was a thin tie, kind of slightly before like oh, everyone wow. was like oh thin ties, and so she went through the. Uh, she kind of went through this play by play on the video with like circling stuff, like, and what's going on here? <laughs> oh, and so uh, after that, I kind of realized if, if like, because I was trying to figure out like what purpose Melissa Rivers served. And so I kind of thought, you know, if Joan Rivers were a buffalo, Melissa would be the only part the Native Americans would not do with. <laughs> She's so, like, I instantly was like, what the fuck is your problem? I'm a dude wearing a black suit.
0: Oh my god! How did I? I got how did that feel when you're watching TV and you're watching someone completely critique? It's like being in the third grade again, and getting made fun of because you're the kid with the Kmart T-shirt.
1: I'll tell you exactly how it felt, and this is because honest as I can be about it, it was bittersweet because at the time I wasn't working as much, and so I was like, "Oh, I'm on TV. Someone's talking about me." So that fucking immature part of my brain is stimulated, okay. but then at the same time it's like, oh, but she's shitting on me, <laughs> so it was this kind of like, eh, <laughs> kind of a feeling, uh, and by okay. the way, she was wrong, she was way fucking wrong, what I was wearing was awesome.
0: Uh, well, skinny, the rock and the skinny tie, the breakfast stuff all over again, let's get this done. Too. Hey, I was dressed
1: like I was in the hives, come on, <laughs> man, cool, yeah. band. cool band, cool band, um, but uh, a cool band at the time, still yeah. a cool band, still a
0: cool band, I love the hives. But uh, what,
1: what, what music do you like? What music do you
0: listen to? I am a metal head. I'm large, metalhead. I'm like, largely. Oh, I, I love Ozzy, and I've been listening um, to a lot uh, heavier music. Like, none of you heard of these guys Kill Switch Engage, Trivium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bullet from My Valentine's a big one right now. Yep. All that remains, I got to go see All That Remains Lacuna Coil and um, Maylene and the Sons of Destruction, or Sons okay. of Disaster. And I never remember, because the concert hall was like two blocks from my apartment here in San Francisco. So. That's the kind of stuff I listen to. That and then a crapload of uh, Sinatra is the other big thing. <laughs> yeah. Who was uh, who was metal for his time? He was as metal as metal gets. And I'm, that's like one of my whenever I'm listening to Sinatra and tweeting, I'm like, "Fuck was Sinatra metal? He was so metal, you bitches don't know." And tweet. And uh, he was he was he was. I mean, if he was alive today, he would be. You know, he'd be biting the heads off chickens and uh, throwing blood on the audience. He just maybe not that regard, but he was. He was so fucking cool. So, that stuff. And then, um, uh, I, you know, I can't get away from the Christina Aguilera because of the the pipes are just you can sit and listen to that all day. And yes, I like Lady Gaga too. So metal and uh, crazy dressing chick pop.
1: Now, I don't. I don't know much about. Uh, you know, people, people that I've taught you. I had this conversation about Lady Gaga with Andy Richter, where yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I just don't. I just not. I just don't understand." And he's like, "I know, but." For the type of music that it is, it's well done. And the more I see of her, the more I respect just this kind of path, this this kind of... Mega theatrical path that she's taken in creating this whole you know well, insane persona. There's two things with it's her fascinating I think. as a writer.
0: It, there's two things. It's like 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 Ozzy said on your interview. It's it's it, it's all about a melody, and she writes crazy hooks that you can't get out of your head. And the songs, I don't care what kind of music you like, the songs are just flat out catchy. That's all there is to it. And then uh, the whole visual train wreck that is going on. On the few videos of hers that I've seen, you're like, I i don't know what... I can't look away. What's happening? <laughs> She's wearing sunglasses that are smoking. I don't...
1: Do you think maybe you might want to uh, start touring as some kind of Gary Glitter-style author?
0: Uh, I, I have given that some thoughts. you know, it's but... Uh, Doing something to to cut through and get some kind of attention. I don't know, not not quite to that. I'm not going to be like David Bowie. Let's get androgynous <laughs> with this shit. Bowie. Yeah, my voice doesn't quite fit into androgyny. Which if you ever listened to anybody listening to my podcast has heard my female voices, and they are absolutely atrocious. <laughs> like you sound, you sound like a drunk transvestite on there. I'm like thank you very much. But uh oh, do you do the character voices? What I do. All, I do all the character it's voices. Fantastic. I do. Yeah. Like there's, all, we're over like. 150 characters by this time. So, now, see, I'm torn
1: because I want to I actually want to read the book, but I also now I want to hear your characterization of the book as well, well.
0: They're all free online so you can uh, you can go dig into them. Yeah.
1: Where and so is it, is it to scottsigler.com or do you have yeah, a
0: Scottsigler.com is where I go um, you know, kind of do my thing and and also the weekly podcasts are posted there Mm -hmm. so right now we're in the middle of ancestors so anybody listening to this can go to scottsigler.com hear the first four or five episodes of ancestor and see if they dig it and we give that away every week so that's how i stretch it out for 24 30 weeks five months or so and uh if you can sit and wait for the rest of the story more power to you it's all free you get every word if you get caught up in it got to find out what happens well then hopefully you go out and buy the book and then all the back stuff is is archived at a place called potiobooks.com, which mm-hmm. is P-O-D-I-O-Books.com. And that's where I've got seven full-length, unabridged free novels and a bunch of short story collections. So. What's your recording setup like now? Uh, right now I have a, a 4x4 booth. I actually have a sound booth that I stumbled into. Uh, got it for free. And um, an RE20 mic, mm-hmm. which is... They're like, this is what they use in NPR. I'm like, okay. So uh, that that is... Lovely, and then I record, and basically it all goes into a, a Mac Pro tower.
1: they give you the kind of the vocal compression that they get in I've got like, a... Yo, everyone's voice sounds bassy and rich.
0: I think it's a Voice Master Platinum Pro, I think is what it is. And I have to use that because uh, I started out recording in my closet in San Francisco, and we're right on top of a very busy street. So all the traffic noise... I had to find an insane noise gate and compression. Otherwise, it sounded like that all the time. And now uh, the new place I'm at, it's the same problem. So that's pretty much yeah, it. it. It's interesting.
1: A- We're actually recording in San Francisco right now, and it's I've not heard... Any of the sirens that you would normally hear.
0: At the the W Hotel 20 stories up, it's slightly different than in my (laughs) my tiny one-bedroom apartment, one floor above three lanes of nonstop 24-hour traffic. I'm just saying, that's a slight... (laughs) If you're an audiophile, that's a slight difference. They brought me um, cookies last night. They brought me cookies. Did they? Oh, that's badass. Well, they brought me
1: cookies the night before, but they weren't for me. So this guy comes to the door, and he's got cookies and milk, and he was like... Mr. Brown, I have cookies for you. I'm not. By the way, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to racial stereotype. I'm just trying to imitate how the guy sounded. Okay. You can. You can peg whatever ethnicity you thought he was. But he's like, Mr. Brown, I have cookies for you, and he hands me this note for Mr. Brown, and I'm a fucking idiot. So I go, I'm not. I'm not brown.
0: <laughs> and then
1: he kind of walked away, sort of dejected. And as soon as I closed the door, I was like, Why did I just pass up three cookies? <laughs> And so the next day, I, t- I told them at the hotel, I was like, "Oh, this crazy thing happened," and they were like, uh, "We'll send you up some cookies." So uh, I actually did go. actually did get my delicious cookies and milk. Good, after all. good. Um, that that story was just about me. That had nothing to do with you, Scott. I'm that, sorry. That's
0: okay, but I'm gonna have to get cookies later today. So <laughs> that'll that'll be good. So are you gonna, are you gonna branch out into uh, into other media? What are is it? What, what are you looking to do? Well, I've been doing a lot more video stuff lately. I'm trying to get more video out, uh, you know, watching a lot of the successful vidcasts like, Mm -hmm. you know, Callie Lewis and and other shows, Leo Laporte, shows like that. And I mean, there's blogging and audio are one level and then if you get a successful vidcast and people get to recognize your face, that's another level. And then the next level up is TV. Mm -hmm. And eventually to get to to the TV level, because, you know, the thing you realize is people who have been on TV or are on TV right now, their exposure is just, so much bigger, you know. the The internet's a big place, and you can do really well and get a lot of followers there. But there's just something TV, about
1: there's just something about TV. It's difficult to compete.
0: You can't, and that's what I've come to the realization. I've come to is you can't compete. So my grand business model is besides publishing my own books and putting out books through Random House, I've got cool books in stores. If I can find a way to get uh you know get a, get in front of more people on a bigger brand name, I'm hoping the back end is a lot more people going to stores to to buy those books and enjoy them.
1: So. Now, why hasn't a book like The Rookie, for instance, been made into a movie yet? I mean, like fucking aliens playing football like what what could be better in a movie than that?
0: It's I think largely what it comes down to now is it its brand name and how many books have you sold? Mm-hmm. So if you've written you know. Um, the lovely bones and seven million people have read your book, well, it doesn't really matter what kind of movie it's gonna be. It's gonna get made into a movie. Not as
1: good an alien, uh, Not as alien as in the bones.
0: Um so I'm I'm in the process of getting trying to get these things adapted and I have a new movie guy now who's getting we're getting no's from some really big-time players, which is really exciting. <laughs> that's actually that's
1: actually a, an interesting way to put it. When you start getting rejected higher up the chain, yep. You can, in, in a weird sort of way, you can spin that into an optimistic kind of a, well, I I made it to that level to get rejected.
0: Yeah. It's uh similar to my philosophy with the books. I'm like, I don't care if I get a no. I just want to know I'm getting a fair shot. Like, mm-hmm. if I get a shot at the big time and then I don't sell enough books or I don't get the publishing deal, well, that's okay because I, I had my chance. I can't sit there and, and – Crying my milk and say, oh, nobody ever gave me a chance. I could have been a contender. I had a shot at it. It didn't pan out. I'm okay with that. So for the last four years, I've had a couple of different movie representatives who have not gone out hunting. Because for a guy like me, I don't have a big enough name that the doors are being kicked in by Spielberg. Uh, you gotta have a guy who goes out hunting. So the new guy is right. hunting, and we're getting a lot of rejection. So shit's happening. It just hasn't broken through yet. So I'm really excited about that. I
1: wish it happened that way where Spielberg would just fucking kick your door It'd be in. Awesome. Just like a shirt, like rippling chest, Spielberg.
0: I chest. would want him holding Ripley's flamethrower from Aliens. And, <laughs> and he kicks the door in, and he just stands there, and I'm like, nice tank top, But he's, st- he's still
1: very soft spoken. I am Steven Spielberg.
0: I'd like to make your movie. <laughs> By uh,
1: the way,. Can I can I just can I just say for a second on a slightly related note, uh, I just watched Alien Resurrection
0: again. You didn't like it? Uh, that's the one where she's cloned from a drop of her own blood. Come on! Oh my god, the science in that the 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 science in that one made my nuts shrivel up and hide in my chest. I'm like, are you? So you clone her from a single drop of blood, yet she has all of her memories and personality. Except now she's six foot eight, and the uh, <laughs> the parasite that was in her chest is now suddenly back in her chest somehow. Combining its DNA into the single cell of her blood, I lost it. I I, I was having a very difficult time very, with that.
1: That's a very interesting take. I suspended my disbelief for all Ugh. of that, and I all, like all I could think was, "Oh, crazy
0: high alien hybrid human Ripley." I I uh, that it, that had Ron Perlman in it, and which went a long way to making it awesome. But the the science in that just it was like it was like. Being gang raped by anti nerds, it made I was very upset because I put a lot of super hard biology in my stuff. And it was for, how do you screw up aliens? Like there was Alien masterpiece, Aliens in my opinion the best movie ever made. I'm a junkie for that thing. Mm-hmm. Then <laughs> Aliens three, the still see how angry I get for this. This is my man. this is my nerd down my sleeve. I get you have Newt. You have Newt in Aliens. Her whole culture, family, everything has been slaughtered. She's been terrorized by these things. If you want another strong female franchise character, there's Newt. Five movies out of Newt, no problem. And they kill her in her sleep for Aliens 3. I was like, as a storyteller, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Okay, kill the soldier. He had like acid holes in his heart and crap like that. Fine. But you kill this girl who is a masterpiece of a character as you could watch her grow and become this awesome hunter. Justifies going out and going after them, way better than Buffy or anything like that. This would have been awesome. Killer in a sleep, and then that you know the 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 afterbirth that was Aliens three, and then we get to Aliens Resurrection. I was very upset. I,
1: I, I have, this was a this was a powerful vein. I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about. It. I wish I brought this up sooner. I actually have my uh, I bought a Nostromo patch that they have. Oh, did you? Jackets. Yeah, yeah I, that's I, okay.
0: I have I have a, I have a, a Battlestar Galactic Pegasus patch for mine. So <laughs> equal equal and uh, equal and nerdum. I admit it.
1: What I got you to do is that I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start this uh, social network for nerds and uh, I'm gonna have everyone make a nerd collage where they basically just put as all their nerdy stuff into a corner and then just <laughs> take a picture of it. I, ha- I have to make you I have to get you to make a nerd collage. Uh,
0: Be happy to do that. Be happy make a to join in. Nerd
1: for us. Uh, well, I, I think that's pretty much that's that's our hour. Like almost right. exactly our hour. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming up to the hotel. Scott Sigler, uh, uh, um, uh, infected, contagious, the rookie, um, Ancestor, which is the now. one that's just that's yep. just come out. That uh, Je- oh, would you just please uh, give a, a message to uh, Jessica Barton, who uh, who who hooked this all up uh, inadvertently? Yeah. Yep. So if you just want to say something, really, uh,
0: uh, Jessica, thank you so much for doing the review. Uh, beers are on me. They would have been on me anyways, but just because you, <laughs> thank you for writing about Ancestor. Now I have an excuse <laughs> for it. It was really cool to see, and now I've got on this uh, this great podcast, and this has been a thrilling experience.
1: Sloppy kisses, everyone! Scott, thank you so much. I, I'm so fascinated you, by your process and uh, everything that you, you've accomplished, and I'm, I'm now now I'm a fan of you personally. I'm really excited to see uh, what kind of what kind of uh literary alchemy you can stir up in the
0: coming years <laughs> we'll give, give him a shot and a new, uh, hope a new franchise new fan <sighs> fiction I, I i wanted to write the screenplay for aliens 3 so at a young age i was very upset i'm still I'm still pissed about that you know but what? i hope you enjoy the reads we're we're going to hug this out <laughs> the end now leaving nerdist.com <laughs>